Would you open your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 1. We know that Israel only finally made it into the promised land on the third attempt. On the what attempt? They made a first attempt. They walked away because of lack of faith. They tried to go up in disobedience the second time, and they got defeated. On the third time they entered in, they were successful. Now, on that first attempt to move into God's plan for their life and to move into God's destiny for them, they, they, they failed because of a lack of faith. They, they rejected God's plan for their life. Everybody say rejected. They rejected God's plan for their life because in their minds, they were not capable of fulfilling God's plan for their life. See, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the book of Proverbs says. And in Numbers 13, verse 33, when they, they came back, the ten of the twelve spies said, We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves, not just to them, but we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now, beloved, when, when God speaks to you about a, a plan he has for your life, you're going to have to understand it's bigger than what you can do in yourself. Everybody say, it's bigger. Say it again. And if you're not careful, forgive me for saying this, your lack of self-esteem will cause you to pull away from the will of God for your life. Your, your negative attitudes toward yourself, putting down yourself, all the words you've heard people say about you over a lifetime, all the negative things people have said about you for a lifetime will come crashing in on you. And all of a sudden, you seem incapable. We, I, I just think I'm a little grasshopper. I'm not capable of taking on the challenges of this destiny. And that lack of faith shows up in that self, lack of self-esteem. But the, but the lack of faith came from another source also. It came from those ten spies. Twelve spies went into the land. Joshua and Caleb came back. And they agreed with the same facts as the other ten. Everybody say the same facts. You see, there are Christians, there are people of God that look at the same thing and they agree to the same facts. These are the facts. There's no lying. There's no manipulation of truth. The facts are accepted. But different people look upon facts and draw different conclusions. The ten spies looked at the same facts as Joshua and Caleb and said, it cannot be done. Joshua and Caleb looked at the same facts as the ten spies and says, with God's help, we can do it. Joshua and Caleb looked through eyes of faith. The ten spies looked through eyes of fear and unbelief. And it is amazing how ten men who saw correct facts but misinterpreted them due to their lack of faith, how ten men turned a million people away from the will of God. And I wonder how many times in our lives have we been turned away from the will of God by the influence of people around us who have seen the facts and they're not lying, they're, they're, they're telling the truth about the facts, but they just interpret them through eyes of fear, and through eyes of unbelief. Now, the second time they started to go in, they went in in rebellion. 
Numbers 14, beginning with verse 39. Joshua told these words to all the people of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. He, he rebuked them for refusing the, the, the plan of God for their lives, and they mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are, Joshua, I mean Moses, here we are. We will go to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. But they did. They went up anyway. They didn't understand that God keeps moving. Everybody say, God keeps moving. Now, there's a key that you have to understand about God. God keeps moving. And if you don't move with God, things change. No, Pastor Summerall, I heard this preacher preach from Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Yes, that's exactly what God says in Romans eleven twenty nine, But it's not talking about your destiny. It's not talking about the plans God has for your life. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about the gifts and callings of God for the salvation of Israel are without repentance. Now, sometimes you have to understand that God has spoken to you to do something. God has challenged you to do something. And you looked at it, and in your lack of faith, you said, never mind, I'm not going to do it. And then later, you change your mind, and you go back and try to do it, and then you fail. And you say, well, God must not, must, that must not have been God's will. No, it was God's will then, but it's not God's will now. Everybody say, then and now. You, you have to understand God keeps moving. And when you have rejected God's will a year ago, six months ago, three years ago, and now you try to come back and do it now, I'm sorry. Life has changed. Everybody say, life has changed. You need to ask God, what do you want from me now? Everybody say, now. Say it again. You cannot live in past guidance. You have to live in the plan of God now, you have to follow the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. You have to learn to follow. You have to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you got out of step with the Spirit and you got off in this other direction, now you don't try to keep going in this other way. You come and you try to get back in. What is the Holy Spirit leading me to do now? Everybody say, what is for now? Say it again. But now the third time is where I want to focus this week and in a couple of weeks, we'll finish it up. How did Israel finally, after 40 years of failure, how did they finally move into the plan of God for their life? Now, part of this is spiritual and part of this is practical. Let me just throw one spiritual truth at you. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. New Living Translation. Then he will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Sluggish. Forgive me. I don't want to be rude. But in the last two years, many Christians have become sluggish. Spiritually dull and indifferent. Everybody say, spiritually dull and indifferent. You become spirit. Everybody say slow moving. Halingbawa. 
How many of you, especially during the first big lockdown, gained weight? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Did you move slower after that? I didn't hear you. Did you notice after being locked up in a house for months, when you finally were able to move around, you walked slower than you did before? That's called sluggish. That's called what? In the same way, spiritually, many Christians have become sluggish. And as God begins to speak to you about moving into the plan that he has for you now, everybody says, it's time to move forward. And, and really, you've got to understand, that, that's still the thing that's in my heart right now. Last night, I laid awake most of the night praying. Every time I woke up, I'm praying again. And I woke up this morning, and just the Word of God just kept getting to my heart. Keep moving forward. Everybody shout, keep moving forward. Maybe we're only going to be able to take baby steps, but we're going to keep moving forward. All right, we're locked down again for a few weeks. Well, we'll lay out the locations for the Crusades and Lipa. We'll lay out the locations in Batangas, and we'll work on the locations in Cebu and Dava. And we'll start making plans and getting things ready and getting things prepared. We'll be ready to move in Jesus' name. But you can't just, well, okay, I, I, guess, I guess I need to begin to do what God wants me to do. <sighs> let, me, let me see if I can get myself awake. Kind of spiritually sleepy right now. <sighs> Moving kind of slow these days. Namamasha. You look like an old wind-up toy that's just about run out. Spiritually, you need to get yourself moving again in Jesus' name. Now, practically, here we pick up in Joshua 1, beginning with verse 10. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over arm before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has given to you, and that they also may take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Now let me begin to walk you through eight thoughts. We'll do three now. Eight simple practical thoughts of moving forward into God's plan for your life. Number one, you have to move forward into God's plan for your life at the right time. At the what time? Now how do you recognize the right time? Well, Joshua recognized it four ways. First of all, Joshua recognized it was time to start by the Word of God. Everybody say, by the Word. In Numbers 14, verses 31 to 34, he said, You and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, 
and shall suffer for your faith, faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the numbers of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. Now Joshua remembered this. This was God's word. And so 40 years later, he says, okay, the 40 years is up. The children are still alive, but the adults of that time that made the decision to rebel against God, they've all died off. It's a new generation, and the 40 years has passed. It's the right time. Everybody say, know it by the word. Joshua had two clear teachings from the word that showed him it was the right time to move in to the promised land. Now, when, when people come to me and they say, Pastor, this is what God has been speaking to me, I say, can you show me in Scripture what God is telling you to do? Many times people look at me and they say, no. I said, when you can show me in Scripture, then I believe God spoke to you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, I've looked at people and they said, no, it's not in the Scripture, but God spoke to me. I said, okay, but God will also speak to you from His Word. His Word is His revealed will. I said, where can you show me a scenario in the Bible where somebody was in a situation like yours and this is what God said to do? Well, I can't. Well, then I don't believe it's God. When God begins to speak to you, you should be able to see clear principles in the Word of God. Everybody say clear principles in God's Word. Secondly, Joshua recognized it was time to start because God spoke to him. Verse 1 and 2 of Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all my people, into the land I'm giving them, to, to you and to the people of Israel. Now, notice, God spoke. The difference between real faith and imitated faith is the rhema. Everybody say, the rhema. Now, there's two words in the Bible for the word. One is logos, that's the written word. And then there's rhema, that's the spoken word. When God takes a passage of Scripture and He speaks it to your heart, everybody say, when God speaks. And you, you, sometimes you fast and pray. And you say, Lord, I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't move forward until you give me a rhema on this. I need to know this is what you want me to do. So God speaks to him. God gives him the rhema. So, all right, we have the word. We have the rhema. And then thirdly, he understood that circumstances do not mean anything. Everybody say circumstances are irrelevant. Joshua 3, beginning with verse 15. As soon as those who were bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The Jor river Jordan was at flood stage. Now, beloved, please, you don't try to bring your sheep and your goats across a river at flood stage. You don't try to bring the baby lambs and the baby goats across the river at flood stage. You don't try to bring your children across a river at flood stage. It looks like bad timing. But brothers and sisters, God was about to part the river. Now you have to understand, 
As long as you are looking at circumstances to control your decisions, you are never going to be able to follow God in the miracles when he makes a way where there is no way. Everybody say, when God makes a miracle. Say it again, please. You have to understand Proverbs, I mean, sorry, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. He who observes the wind will never sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As long as you're looking at the circumstances, you'll never do anything. See, circumstances are very easy for Satan to manipulate. If you're going to follow God into the miraculous, if you're going to go where God is going to make a way where there is no way, like Israel crossing the sea when they left Egypt, and now Israel crossing the Jordan as God dries up the Jordan, it was the wrong timing in circumstances. Oh, we should not. I could just hear, no, Joshua, this isn't the right time. Let's wait until the rivers dry up a little bit, and then later on it'll be easier to, to cross across the Jordan River. Joshua, we should wait for a while. No, no. Joshua said, no, this is the time. We're not looking at the circumstances. God's going to dry up the river. Don't look at circumstances. Look for God to deal with the circumstances. Now let me show you how following circumstances can destroy you. Acts 27, verses 9 through 15, the story of the Apostle Paul on his way to stand before Caesar. You know the story well. It's just before the storm hits. Paul said, hey, guys, I don't think that this is right for us to go. But the captain of the ship chose not to listen to the man of God. He chose to listen to the owner of the ship and to the owner of the goods. And then the scripture says, a gentle wind came up. Acts chapter 27, verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, okay, circumstances look good. Supposing they had obtained their purpose... They weigh anchor and they go. Next thing you know, a storm comes up. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, they would have all died. See, that's what happens when you follow circumstances. God can fix the circumstances, but you should not be led by circumstances. Fourthly, Joshua knew it was time to start because he saw that God was already at work. Joshua 2, verse 24. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Another translation says their hearts melt in fear because of us. When you begin to see that God is dealing with the opposition, and in everything that you do for God, there will be people who will oppose you. I'm sorry. Okay, anything that you do for God of any size or any magnitude, even believing God for promotion in your office, there are always going to be people who will oppose you. But when you see God removing the opposition, God doing what? Everybody say, removing the opposition. When you see God removing the opposition, there's another sign. It's time to start. Sometimes, Acts 7, verse 17, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, but at the, as the time of the promise drew near, at the time for Israel to leave Egypt, as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. So when you, you see a swell of life, when you, everybody say, a swelling of life, it's time to start. Halimbawa. One of our young members came to me one time several years ago. 
And he and his wife had been married for several years, and they'd had like a 25, 28 square meter condo, just studio apartment. And they said, Pastor, we've really been believing God for, for our own home. We want our own house and lot, and we've just been praying about the right timing for it, and I want you to pray with me. So we prayed together. A few weeks later, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I think it's time. I think God has showed us it's time to get the new apartment. I said, why do you say that? He said, Pastor, my wife is pregnant. And the first ultrasound, she's about to have twins. I said, yeah, twins in a 25-square-meter apartment? Uh, yeah, I, you, you, there's life, there's swelling taking place. Just like the people of Israel, their numbers multiplied so rapidly when it was time for them to leave the land of Egypt. So look for a flow of life. Everybody say a flow of life. And sometimes you just see or hear God moving. We sang it earlier from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 24. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Sometimes you, you know it's time to start because you see God beginning to move. Everybody say, God's on the move. Say it again. All right, so I'll talk to you very practically about how to recognize when it's time to start. Number one, you see it in the Word. Number two, you fast and pray until you get a rhema from God. Number three, you don't look at the circumstances. Number four, you look at the opposition and you see the opposition melting away and you see a growth of life, a flow of life among you. Now, secondly, are you learning? Secondly, moving forward requires preparation. Requires what? Verse 1 and 2. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Everybody shout, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River. Verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land. Everybody say, preparation. Now, imagine what would have happened if God had parted the Jordan River for them and they weren't ready. Oh, uh, Joshua, uh, send it along. Uh, we have to pack now. They would have missed it. See, opportunities don't stay open forever, beloved. I'm, I'm sorry. We like to act that, you know, like an, an open door is forever. An open door is still a door. Everybody say, still a door. It's not the, the mouth of a cave, okay? It's still a door. Doors open and doors close. Now, maybe man can't close the door, but God can close the door. You have to learn that when God tells you to start getting ready, you get ready. You prepare yourself for an opportunity. Now, please, I don't want to be harsh, but please hear my heart. There are many Christians that never get ready. They never prepare themselves. And because of that, every opportunity that comes along in life, they're always playing catch-up. Everybody say playing catch-up. The opportunity presents itself, and they're not ready, and they miss it. And the next opportunity comes along, and they don't prepare themselves, and they miss it. And the next opportunity, God just keeps being merciful, comes along, gives them another opportunity, and again, they don't prepare themselves. Halingbawa, 
young man came to me and he said, Pastor Samuel, I've been praying for a promotion. I said, wonderful. A few weeks later, maybe a few months later, he says, Pastor, I'm being interviewed. Uh, the senior vice president is flying in from Singapore and they're going to interview me for this promotion. I said, wonderful. Are you ready? He said, well, I wish I'd done a few things differently. And that was all he said. Well, when I saw him the next time, because he didn't come to me, I said, did you get your promotion? He said, no. I said, why? He said, well, they were expecting a few more educational things that I just had never done. I said, did they tell you that you were going to need this? They, he said, yeah. Did they tell you long enough ago? He said, they told me two years ago. He said, I said, so they told you two years ago educational expectations that they would have for you if you were going to get the promotion, and you never did anything about it. No. Okay, he lost an opportunity because of a lack of preparation. Talked with a family one time. They've been praying for two years for a house and lot. No, three years for a house and lot. They were renting a house. Every time I saw them, pastor, pray with us for our house and lot. We don't want to pay rent anymore. Pray with us. We prayed so many times together for their house and lot. Came to me, Pastor, we had the most wonderful offer out of house and lot this week. I said, really? He said, yes, Pastor. It's a beautiful house, owner built. The owner has lived in it, took beautiful care of this house. Pastor, it would be marvelous. They're, they're moving overseas, but they, they need a 500,000 peso down payment. I said, well, every time we prayed, I asked if you were saving money, and you said, yeah. He said, yes, we, we did save money, but then we took the whole family and some of our relatives to Disneyland in Hong Kong, and we took the whole family and some of our relatives to Universal Studios in Singapore, and I said, and you spent all your money. He said, yeah. So you weren't prepared for an opportunity. God brought you a house at half price, and all you needed was a 500000 down payment, and you make enough money, you could have saved that money, you had saved it, and then you spent it. Beloved, if, if you're going to move into the plans that God has for your life, you have to understand preparation is required. What is required? Now, again, there are too many Christians. You don't begin to prepare until the door is open. And then, while you're trying to get ready, the door closes. You're always, as my daddy would say, a day late and a dollar short. You're just always behind. Beloved, please, if you're asking God for a miracle, if God is speaking to you about doing something, do the preparatory work. Do the planning in Jesus' name. Are we still here? Can I teach you a little bit more? Never mind. Can I teach you a little bit more? Thirdly, moving forward requires that you know your boundaries. Now look in Joshua 1, verse 4. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. God said, here's the promise, here are the boundaries. In other words, God did not say, Joshua... You know, you want Babylon, I'll give you Babylon. You know, you want to go over to Syria, I'll give you Syria. What else would you like? You want to go up to, to Rome, I'll give you Rome. No, God had boundaries on a promise. Now, one of the great causes of false doctrines in the world is people who don't understand 
that every promise of God, every doctrine of God has boundaries. Everybody say, has boundaries. Say it again, please. Do you remember Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4? Matthew 4, verses 6 and 7. Satan came, tempted Jesus. Jesus said, it is written. Well, Satan comes back the second time and says, all right, you want to quote Scripture? I'll quote Scripture. Uh, Jesus, I'm going to put you up here in the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, the Scripture says that... Uh, He'll give his angels charge concerning you lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, jump off and let the angels catch you on the way down. Now, did God promise that he shall give his angels charge concerning you lest you strike your foot against a stone? Yes. That's a promise of God. But Jesus knew the promise had a boundary. Jesus said, it is also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A family came back from an overseas trip, and they'd been to a big Christian conference. And they came to me. I thought they'd be very excited, but they were very sad. They said, Pastor, we're, we're in so much financial trouble right now. I said, did you spend too much money on your trip? They said, no, but we were in this conference, and the preacher was telling us to, to give beyond our means and to give sacrificially. And, you know, every night we'd pull out the credit card, and we'd put more giving on the credit card and more giving on the credit card. And I said, but how many times have I taught you? That God does want us to give generously. And God does want us to sacrifice. But God says that we only give based on what we have. We don't give out of debt. I didn't hear you. Every doctrine, every promise has boundaries. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over is a beautiful promise of God. But you have to put that with other verses that talk about you give according to your means. You give based on what you have. Every promise has boundaries. Now, if you're going to begin to move into the plans that God has for your life, know the boundaries that God is speaking. Everybody say, explore the boundaries. Say it again. God says, this is what I want you to do. Then understand the limitations. God says, this is, this is the land I'm going to give you. Understand the limitations. God said, I'm going to give you a house and lot. Understand the limitations. When God says, I'm going to give you a house and lot, he didn't say he's going to give you Forest Park for a billion pesos. Are we still here? Every promise has boundaries. Learn to live within the boundaries. Now, sometimes we make those boundaries smaller than God wants. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, God said, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I promised Moses. All right, wonderful. So Joshua, you need to go and walk through the land. These are the boundaries that I've set. You go walk through every place you set your foot, I will give you. Now, if Joshua had only walked around a small area, the boundaries would have been restricted. Not by God, but by Joshua's faith. So when God begins to speak to you and says, these are the boundaries, go and explore the whole promise. Everybody say, explore the whole promise. If God begins to speak to you, this is the property for your family to build their house and lot, go and walk around on it. Go walk around the neighborhood and look at everything. Go walk around on the land. We always have you bring 
soil. Everybody say the altar of earth. To go and explore the property. Go and explore it. Don't let, don't let things be limited because, well, you know, I don't have the faith to go do that. Go walk around in it. We've got concrete in here from condominiums. We've got dirt in here from farms. A brother told me this morning he's believing God for their own farm. Have, have you noticed this lockdown? A lot of families want to own a farm again. It's been really funny. A lot of families want to own their own farm again. I think that's kind of cool. Now, I'm going to stop there today. Everybody say, know the boundaries. Say it again. Do the preparation. Say it again. Know the right time. I want you to stand with me, please. Did you learn something? This is going to be a good year in Jesus' name. Oh, pastor, we're headed into lockdown again. Yeah, we are. So what? And you know what? To be blunt, level three is probably going to last longer than two weeks. So what? God's plan for your life is not changed by COVID-19. I didn't hear you. You have to learn to follow God. Would you take your communion emblems, please? Now, some of you younger ones, please forgive me if I talk like an old man for a minute because I'm not an old man. I'm still a young man. But some of you are old enough to remember the 80s and the 90s. We didn't have COVID, but we had coup d'etats, we had revolutions, we had economic crisis, we had 50% interest rates, <laughs> we had the obstacles back then too, and we had to make a decision. God's plan for our life is not controlled by our circumstances. God's plan for our life is controlled by God. And young people, you're learning a great lesson in these days, a great lesson that will stand with you for the rest of your life. God is bigger than the circumstances. Everybody shout, he's bigger than the circumstances. And if you can learn that lesson of faith in the middle of this COVID nonsense, this will keep you strong if Jesus tarries for the rest of your life. Whatever comes, whatever you face, I've been there. God's there. God provides. I've been there. God makes a way where there is no way. Been there. And you're not afraid of the future. You're not afraid of whatever circumstances come. You've proven. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Would you take the bread, please? Ulitanat and this bread represents his body hung on a cross for me. He took the punishment of my sins, all of the wrath of God for all of my sins came upon him. All of those sufferings he carried away my sin, my sickness 
and my disease, that by his stripes I have been healed. I do not live in fear of God's judgment. I'm his child. I've been adopted into his family because of what Jesus did for me. Let us partake of the bread together. Ulitanat in this cup represents his blood that washed away all my sin. There is nothing from my past that can destroy my future. I've been justified by the blood. I've been brought near by the blood. I remember how the blood of Jesus has washed away all my sin and all my shame. Let us partake of the cup together. be a good year. Everybody say it's going to be a good year. Say it again, please. Say it again. You know why it's going to be a good year? Because God's with you. Well, you know, Pastor Sarmola, it's going to be a good year because it's the year of the tiger. Excuse me. It's going to be a good year because God is with you. You don't need to look at the circumstances. You don't need to look at the luck of the world. You just keep your eyes on Him. God is with you. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You follow Him. Everything's going to be all right. Amen?